The reading today is from Luke 23, verses 26 to 43. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if the people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other women, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of, Jew of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which said, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of God. I want to speak today on the power of the cross to transform your life. I have been captivated by Jesus for over 20 years. He lived a life of stunning beauty. He spoke words of wisdom, uh, never better before or since. He healed the sick, he came alongside those who were struggling and in distress. He lifted up the weak, he unsettled the strong. He spoke words of truth that set people free and still 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years later, have the power to resonate in people's souls and bring peace to their minds. He comforted the disturbed and he disturbed the comfortable. He was gentle with the weak and unsettled the powerful. Jesus is fascinating in every single way. And yet the thing I find most remarkable about Jesus is the way in which he died and the significance of his death. You might have been a Christian for many years or just a few weeks or just a few days. You might still be working out what you think about Jesus. But wherever you're at, you never graduate from the gospel. You never move past 
understanding and working out the significance of Jesus' death on the cross for every day of your life. It's like a beautiful diamond that you could spend your whole life looking at and turning in the sun and seeing another glimpse of its beauty. It's like a powerful lens that enables you to see right into the very core of your being and see yourself as you truly are and to look out and to see this world as it really is. It makes that much difference. And I just want to draw out three quick things that this passage shows us about the significance of the cross and the power of the cross to change each and every day of your life. And the first is that the cross empowers compassion. It's a complex time we're living in, uh, perhaps one of the most complex times anyone has ever lived in, with crisis after crisis after crisis in every area of life. And yet, While these crises are happening and people really need support and help, almost because of our capacity to give support, our capacity to show compassion and our capacity to come alongside people has never been more depleted. It's like our reserves have been run dry and now suddenly there's all these needs that we can identify and we want to respond to. And so it's tempting just to kind of bunker down and say, I'm just going to focus on myself. I'm just going to do me. Everyone else can just go whistle. But the difficulty is, as you step away from people, it's almost like the muscle of compassion in your life, if you're not using it, it shrinks. And so then you become less likely to step towards people. You become less willing to do so and less able to do so. It's almost like when we stop stepping towards others, our capacity to show compassion shrinks and our ability to do so recedes. One of the most remarkable things, I think, in this passage is as Jesus is going through the greatest trial of his life, under huge pressure, facing physical turmoil, extreme pain, exhaustion, he hasn't slept, and he has to face the spiritual isolation of the cross in a moment, and yet his focus doesn't seem to be on himself. As a crowd gathers, a group of women are with Jesus until the end, and they are mourning and weeping for him. But Jesus' concern is for them. He foresees the pain that's going to come to Jerusalem. He says, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. In fact, most of the words Jesus speaks as he is on the cross are spoken out of a concern for others. He responds in the midst of all that's going on with compassion. And compassion is an interesting word. It's a compound word. It means to suffer with. It means to associate yourself with with another's suffering, to to kind of take it on board, to even experience another's pain as if it is your own, to identify so closely with them that when they hurt, you hurt. And true compassion is when your commitment to a person is greater even than the cost of bearing their pain. And in life, your passion is what you're prepared to suffer for. If you want to know what your passion in life is, ask yourself, what am I prepared to suffer for? It's what the word passion means. And Jesus' passion, Jesus' great passion is you. He came to win you. He wanted to know you. And when you see the way he suffered for you, it kind of empowers you to face the challenges that come our way. Jesus didn't only demonstrate compassion by the way he approached the cross, but his very act of dying on the cross is the ultimate act of compassion. To taking on himself our pain, our wrongdoing, our suffering on his shoulders. And in life, there are lots of challenges that come our way. 
I've been really struck recently. There's a woman in our church who is facing a, a very, very severe health crisis at the moment. And it would be so tempting for her, I'm sure, just to kind of bunker away and not see anyone. But I've been really struck. We've, we've been doing Alpha on Tuesday nights. It's a great opportunity to explore faith. And she's been coming each week and kind of serving people food and serving them drinks and like helping out behind the scenes. And I'm like, of all times, at this crisis moment in your life, you're stepping out to help others. I just find that blows me away. Sometimes it's a major thing like that. Sometimes it's just small things. You know, sometimes you're going through the day and you're just, you're so consumed with everything that's going on, all the hassles that are going on, you just feel I don't really have capacity to help anyone else out. I, I've experienced this a number of times in my life. I once uh, was having a really difficult day a little while ago and uh, just really troubled. You know, I don't know if you had a day like that. Maybe you've got a difficult boss or maybe you are a difficult boss and you're kind of facing a day like that and, you know, just kind of a lot on your mind and kind of, I thought, I'll go and get a coffee. So I walked into Pret. And uh, there was a queue. I was like, oh, it's a queue. You know, what else can happen? And, and the guy in front of me got to the front of the queue. And he was just one of those kind of like, you know, kind of difficult customers. Uh, you know, he was like, he's quite a high maintenance customer. I don't know if um, anyone here quite high maintenance in life generally. Just put your hand up if that's you. And oh, a couple of people. And, uh, and, and he was like, it was a really complex coffee order. And that's great. You know, it's important to get things right. But, you know, it was this and oat milk and you know, this, not, not frothy, this, not too flat, and, um, you know, a shot and a half, and, you know, this, and it was all getting quite complicated. And the poor guy, the barista, who actually knew a little bit from just going in there a fair bit, he was getting more and more confused, and he was trying to get it right, but you know when you've just got confused, and then it's really hard to correct yourself? So he was just struggling, he couldn't get it right, he kept getting it wrong, kept having to chuck the coffee out, and the guy was getting more and more frustrated, he was in a rush, he was like, why do you keep messing up my order, just get it right? And then eventually he got really angry, he said, you're just a useless barista. And this poor guy, so, like, I was looking around, and then he said, he said, get me your manager. And I was like, goodness me, it's all kicking off, it's quite aggressive, should I step in? But, you know, I had a lot on my plate, so it's a busy day. So I thought, I'll just hang back, don't want any more hassle. And then he called his manager over, he said, this guy's completely useless, you should fire him, right in front of him. And then, and then he said, you know, it's the worst guy I've ever seen working on prayer, you should just get rid of him, he's, he's useless. He's wasting my order, he's wasting my time, and if you don't sack him, you're a bad manager, you should sack yourself. And then he stormed out. So that's a bit much. But the poor guy, I could see he was a bit distressed. So I kind of stepped forward. I said, um, excuse me, are you the manager? He said, yeah. I said, can we have a word? He's like, like twice. In, you know, <laughs> He's like, yes. What's the problem? And I said, just want you to know, this guy who works for you, this barista, he said, yeah. He said, he's an amazing barista. He makes great coffee. He's always really polite to me, always really kind to everyone in the store. Just thought you should know that. The guy's like, what's going on? I said, and actually... I really want to, I think if there's any way you can commend him in some way and just like reward him for being such a good employee, I think that'd be a great thing to do. The guy was like, <laughs> then he just threw his arms up in there and the manager just walked off. It's like, and then the guy said, oh, thanks. I said, no, no problem. I mean, it's true. You are good at your job. He's like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, you know, and he said, um, he said, well, thanks. I really appreciate it. And then he gave me free coffee for, for the year, actually. <laughs> so um, it's a good year. But <laughs> I mean, and as I walked out of the coffee shop, I was a bit like, what was I bothered about? I couldn't even remember. I thought, oh, there was some problem. What was it? Now, in a tiny way, a tiny, ridiculous way, I'd taken a tiny step out of my comfort zone to stand with him in his challenge. But quite quickly, my own problem had slightly kind of shifted perspective. 
know, when you face challenge, when you face difficulty, you're not on your own. Jesus is with you. And the more you realize that, the more you understand that, the more you recognize that truth, the more you find resources to step out of your comfort zone, to come alongside other people, and actually to step into other people's challenges. And sometimes that can be the very thing that shifts how you encounter your own. The cross empowers you to be compassionate. It empowers compassion. But secondly, the cross enables you to forgive. I wonder what your instinctive response is when someone is rude or unkind or takes a pop at you or has a go. I wonder if you're one of those people, a bit like a rhino, you instantly react. You're like, right, you kick right back at them. Maybe you're a bit more like a hedgehog. You're kind of like, you just think, I'll just leave this for a few hours or a few days or a few years. And I'll let them know, you know, when, when, um, when they're older, uh, just how much they've upset me, if they ask. And... Uh, I don't know how you're wired, but as Jesus is dying on the cross, he's insulted and he's mocked. They say he saved others. Just imagine this, as someone is dying in front of you to say these words. He saved others, let him save himself. As a, a guy is gasping for breath, being executed, he's exhausted, he's wounded, he's struggling for breath. He looks around and he sees not his friends, most of them have run away. He sees his enemies who are mocking him. Can you imagine anything worse? And Jesus' first words on the cross are actually a prayer to his Father in heaven, the one who holds all the power and all the authority in the universe. And if you were Jesus, what would you pray? You know, help me annihilate these Muppets, particularly that gobby one who keeps kicking off. What would your prayer be? Get me out of here. Why? Jesus' first words on the cross are a prayer, not for himself, but for his enemies, asking his Father to forgive them, the very people who at that moment are executing him and torturing him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to live it. And it's a whole other thing to die. Everyone thinks forgiveness is a great idea until someone does something that you find it really hard to forgive. And then it's a bit more personal. It's a bit more particular. It's a bit more under your skin. It's a bit more difficult. Jesus knows only by this way, only by his life for ours, only by his righteousness for our sin that we can encounter God as much-loved daughters, much-loved sons. It's only this way that we can be forgiven, redeemed, this way that our guilt can be atoned. Jesus knows that even this act of evil can be turned to remove and defeat evil, to take the sting of death away. And when you see that, when you realize that, it radically reshapes how you understand forgiveness. I don't know if you're struggling with forgiving someone at the moment. And I know there are horrible things that people do. And sometimes it's almost impossible to think of forgiving someone for the things they have done. Sometimes it's, it's, it's really hard to forgive very small things. You, you, you think I, it's, just, it's just irritating. It's annoying. You find it hard to let go. Even really little things. Still remember uh, 
A little while ago, my friend, when I was working as a barrister, uh, he, he was a senior lawyer, and he was organizing a conference for barristers from right across the country. And they were coming to this hotel for a weekend. And to help him out, I just said, can I, can I help? He said, yeah, I'd love, I'd love you to help out. And me and my colleague, Rachel, helped out. Just a couple of really small, practical things across the weekend. But on the Friday night, as all these barristers came from across the country, we just had to be in like, the lobby of the hotel. And we had a little table. And you know, shouldn't have made any difference. But to all extents and purposes, we just looked like hotel workers just sitting there. And we had to help people register and give them their room keys. Very simple job. It was going very well. I thought, oh, I've got skills at this. You know. And then this, this woman came storming back to the desk, one of the barristers. She slammed her keys on the desk. She said, my room is atrocious. Change it now. I said, oh, I'm sorry about that. And then I thought, how do I change the room? That's really complicated. So I was kind of looking down, trying to work it out. So just bear with me. I'm just, just trying to work out how you change the room. And after a while, she said, hurry up. I want a new room now. I said, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. I just, I just can't work out what room's free if there's another room free. And she's like, are you thick or something? Are you stupid? Just give me a new key. And I said, I'm, tr- I'm trying, I'm trying. It's just, she said, just give me that key. I, I said, I can't, get, if I give you just someone else's room, then they'll be stuck with your room and your room's apparently not very nice. So I don't give you your room. I'm just trying to find if there's a spare room. And she was like, hurry up. And she said, I said, look, I'm trying, I'm trying. She said, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you, give me a key now. I was like, this woman is rude. And then just as I looked down to try and work it out, she like reached across, grabbed a key, took it, and said, I'll do it myself, and stormed off. I was like, <laughs> I turned to my friend Rachel, I said, what is that? She was like, who does she think she is? We were just like, what on earth? And then for the next half hour, I don't know if you've ever experienced that feeling of complete moral superiority, where you're like, they're wrong. I'm right. And I thought, it's quite a nice feeling, that kind of self-righteous, they're completely wrong, I'm completely right. She said, how are you going to get her back? I said, oh, don't worry, I don't need to get her back. Inside I was thinking, I'm going to get her back. So I went back to my room. It's quite nice, actually. And uh, <laughs> I was in there thinking, you know, what can I, what can I, you know, you kind of, you kind of I don't know if you, I'm sure you've never done this, but sometimes you can play a conversation out in your mind, like if I do bump into her in the bar tonight, how will I deliver the one-liner, you know, how will I kind of... You know, get even. I, I know you've never done that, but sometimes people do that. And, uh, but then actually it was a dinner that night. And big hall. And my colleague who had arranged the whole thing was sitting on one table around here. And we were sitting with him because we were his friends. And, uh, and I, as I sat down, I was like looking around. Where is she? And then I saw her. She was like over there in the corner. And, uh, and, and then he, I didn't know he was going to do this, but he got up to give a speech at the end of the dinner. And as part of the speech, he started saying, oh, I just wouldn't have been able to do this without my friends and colleagues, Stephen and Rachel. So can we give them a a round of applause? Can we thank them? And so we had to stand up. And as we stood up, everyone was kind of applauding and looking at us. I wasn't looking at I was looking at one person (laughs) in the corner. And I thought, wait for it. She's going to work it out. It's just going to take a few seconds. So I was like looking in the corner like this. And she was kind of like, you know, politely looking around. And I saw her look like this. And I saw her look like this. So I kind of looked like this, and I was like, you were, I know, I know. And uh, it was an amazing feeling. Often I replay it just to... And, uh, and then I sat down, and I thought, I got it. And then within about five minutes, I was thinking, why are you so pleased with yourself? You think you're superior to her? You don't know what kind of week she had. You know how difficult things are in her business or in her family, or you don't know what she's facing, what challenges she might have been through. You feel so good about yourself, Steve. 
When was the last time you messed up in a major way? It wasn't that long ago, was it, when you needed forgiveness? I suddenly realized, oh, I've been enjoying so much the feeling of feeling superior. But I was kidding myself. You know, it's very hard to forgive someone when you feel superior to them. We talk about forgiveness like it's the easiest thing in the world, but there's a cost to it. I've struggled to forgive a number of times, big things, small things, and I've had to be reminded, actually, I need forgiving. There's things, big things God has had to forgive of me, and that changes things. I can't feel superior at the foot of the cross. You know, at the foot of the cross, it's not like there are kind of levels, different spots for different kinds of people. It's just flat. It's all the same ground. You either come there on your knees or you don't come there at all. There's no place for feeling better or superior or more self-righteous. The more aware I find of I am of my own need for forgiveness, the easier I find it to forgive other people. The more thankful I am for my own need for forgiveness, the harder I find it to hold on to resentment and offense. And if you've lost sight for your own need for forgiveness, what a miracle it is, it might be that you're struggling to forgive people in your life today. When I see Jesus giving himself for me so the Father might forgive me, when I rub that into my heart, Reminds me I'm no better than anyone else. I need forgiveness just as much as the next person. Sometimes though, it's, it's actually it's hard to know that we can be forgiven. Maybe you're in that space tonight. Maybe you find it hard to forgive yourself or you just feel like, keep messing up. Can God really give me one more chance? The truth is the things we do wrong, our failures, our sin, they don't defeat God. They're the very soil in which his forgiveness flowers. Your sin is not more powerful than God's grace. It's stronger. It's greater. I just want to encourage you, if you're struggling in this area, maybe you're struggling to forgive or to feel forgiven, maybe you're struggling to actually come before God and say, I'm sorry, to repent, to just say, God, I've messed up and I need to come back before you today. This, I had to do that this week. I had to get on my knees and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to return to you again. I want to know again the breathless wonder of forgiveness. I've messed up in some ways. I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I need your restoration. If you're struggling in that area, I'd encourage you to come and kneel before the cross. And to say, I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I'd encourage you, even between now and Easter, maybe you want to Read one of the accounts of Jesus' death in the Gospels. You know, looking at the cross is the most practical, the most personal, the most powerful thing you can do. It will transform the way you work. It will transform the way you lead. It will transform the way you treat people. It will transform the way you go through your day-to-day life on an hourly basis just to remind yourself of who you are before the cross and the difference, the transforming difference, the miraculous difference, the radical difference that makes to your life. He was wounded so you might be healed. He was cursed so you might be blessed. He bore God's judgment so you would never have to fear it. He was forsaken so that you might be forgiven. He didn't save himself. They were right. So that he could save you.
And when you see your life through the lens of the cross, all your mistakes can be redeemed. And even the most painful things in your life can be turned for good and can be restored. And then the third thing we see in this passage is the cross enables you to hold on to hope and to hold out hope. How do you hold on to hope even in the midst of the trial? Well, Jesus is crucified in the midst of two criminals. And the first joins in with the mocking. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the second criminal seems to see something in Jesus. And he just wants to respond to it. Don't you fear God? You know, we're about to die. We're punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And generally speaking, when you come close to Jesus, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time, you're aware of at least two things straight away. You're aware of your own sin. You're aware of how far you fall short. You're aware of your need of him. And then you're aware of how holy God is and how wonderful he is and how beautiful he is. And you're aware of the gap between those two things. And then you become aware of the love that bridges that gap. That Jesus was willing to give himself to enable you though you're not worthy on your own, to enter in the very presence of God, not just to hang out there, but as a much-loved daughter, as a much-loved son, and to step in that place by his blood, through his wounds. And so the guy says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's so blown away by the holiness of Jesus. He just wants to be with him. And he prays a simple prayer Almost it must have seemed like a crazy prayer to look at someone who is dying and to hope, to trust that he's the Messiah, the Saviour, and that he can bring him with him into eternity. And even as he dies, Jesus trusts, knows that he will go through death and into eternal life. I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. Such a powerful prayer. Jesus, remember me. It's a very simple prayer. It's a prayer you can pray tonight. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's a prayer you can pray for the first time. It's a prayer you can pray for the thousandth time. Jesus, I'm really struggling. Remember me. Jesus, you know it's tough at work at the moment. Remember me. Jesus, I don't know what's going on with my relationship and I'm confused by it. It's a mess. Remember me. Jesus, there's things about my life that I find confusing and I don't even understand on my best day. Would you remember me? Jesus, at times it feels like I'm hanging on by my fingertips. Would you remember me? Jesus, I'm fighting for peace, and sometimes it feels like I'm losing the battle. Would you remember me? Jesus, I long to know you, but sometimes I don't feel worthy. Would you remember me? Jesus, I need hope. Would you remember me? Sometimes it feels like I've been left on the shelf or left behind or forgotten about or overlooked. But would you remember me? You can be a criminal moments from death and pray that prayer with sincerity and what does Jesus say I tell you the truth today you'll be with me in paradise he knows you sometimes we think I don't know if you ever feel this way sometimes I think I'm going to have to introduce myself to God still remember the old bishop of London had a very big booming voice and I didn't really know him but I'd met him once before and I was at another event and he was there and and I thought, I'd better introduce myself to him. It's a bit awkward, though, because he doesn't know me. But I, I don't want it to be too awkward. So, you know, when you meet someone, you're like, oh, well, I guess I better say hi. And uh, I, I walked towards him and said, oh, hello, Bishop. I, I just wanted to say 
hi, and um, uh, you don't know who I am, but uh, the, the, and I was trying to explain my context, and I said I was at this, the, and I was trying to get the words out, jumbling over words, and he just looked at me and said, I know who you are. I know who you are. You're Stephen. It's like, how do you know my name? What's going on? How do you? A little bit scared. I was like, what? And you're not going to have to go up to God on the final day and go, hi, God. <laughs> New here. Uh, you don't know who I am. Um, you know, I, I lived a pretty average life, to be honest, in lots of ways. You know, I did have one friend. They did some good things. You might have heard of them. And uh, I lived in Oxford. Don't know if you've heard of Oxford. Uh, it's, there's, um, I went to a church you might have heard of. Uh, that, that, was, that was good. Uh, he knows you. Think about this. The guy dying on the, on the cross next to him says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. His prayer to Jesus as he's dying is that Jesus might remember him. Jesus knew him before one of his days came to be. Jesus priced in the cost of his salvation before he was even born. Jesus has his name engraved on his hands and he's not going to forget it. Jesus is shedding blood at that moment for his redemption. He's carrying his sin on his shoulders at that moment and the guy says to him, Jesus, would you remember me? He's not going to forget him. He knows him. And he's going to welcome him into his kingdom as a much-loved son. And he'll welcome you as a much-loved child. He's not going to forget you. He's not going to scrub your name off his hands. He's not going to forget about you and think, oh, where's that extra person? Who are they? He knows you. And he will remember you. He's going to forget your sin. But he's going to remember you. And when you come to him, you can trust. You know, the cross says your saviour is for you. He's with you today. The cross says you are forgiven and free to forgive. The cross says that you have a hope and a future. Look at what it cost him to take hold of you. He's not going to let go of you. You can trust him. And the cross says that no enemy, no evil has the last word over your life. Even your sin doesn't have the last word over your life. The last word over your life is spoken by the voice of Jesus Christ. Jesus, would you remember me? Jesus, I've messed up. I'm so sorry. I've made mistakes. But would you remember me? Jesus, it's been a difficult time. I haven't known how to keep going, but would you remember me? Jesus, I find forgiveness confusing and sometimes I'm not even sure how to do it, but would you remember me? Jesus, would you remember me? Let's stand and we're going to pray.